All right, we're going to be in Acts chapter 2. If you don't have a Bible, there'll be some guys coming down with some. You can grab, just raise your hand and they'll, uh, they'll find you and get you a Bible. Acts chapter 2. The book of Acts is like Luke, the sequel. Luke is uh, writing to a guy named Theophilus, and he, uh, in the Gospel of Luke, tells him all about the life and work of Jesus Christ. And then in, uh, in the book of Acts, he, he continues to say this, the work of Jesus goes on, and he explains it in the Acts of the Apostles. Um, and we see kind of the birth of the church in Acts chapter 2. And I remember a, a professor of mine reading out of Acts 2, and he was, he was pretty stoked. He was excited, and he was getting worked up. Um, and you, you'll, you'll see why when we read it. It's, it's pretty amazing stuff. But he was, he was excited, and he was reading in Acts chapter 2 about the early, early church and first century Christianity. And he stopped in the middle, and he looked up at us as a class, and he said, if Christianity were a food, what would it be? I'm thinking, what is this guy? I mean, lunch is around the corner. Is he distracted or what? But it's not too far off. I mean, Jesus compares himself to, to bread, to water. The psalmist tells us to uh, taste and see that the Lord is good. So we, we were into it, and people were, were shouting out some food. And the idea is that people are connecting their favorite foods to it, right? Um, it, it's attractive. It's desirable. You want it. It's bold. I mean, nobody said rice cakes, okay, in the class. That was not an option. One kid in the back said vegetables, right, because it's good for you. And we make our kids eat it. So I just wondered, what was his church experience like growing up? And I was just, I, I hurt for him. But it's like loving Jesus, like broccoli. You know, you force it down. But when we, when we look at the, the New Testament, we read about Christianity and we see people just radically in love with Jesus and giving their lives to him and, and committed to loving one another and boldly sharing the gospel. And then, then we look at the Christianity we've baked up in our lives. And you got to wonder, it's like, I don't know if this would be like my favorite food. I don't know if we've cooked up the same thing. I don't know if this tastes the same. I don't know if we're missing something, right? Like, for example, my wife makes killer cookies. I mean, killer cookies. In fact, I married her for her cookies. (laughs) Praise God, everything else has worked out. But, I mean, (laughs) she makes these amazing cookies. And in July, this past July, her and the kids went back to Iowa to visit some family. And I was batching it. And she did not leave me any cookies. So I, and, I, and I wanted some. So I thought, I'll just bake my own cookies. Why is that funny? <laughs> somebody, somebody laughed, la- they laughed last service. Like, I can't bake cookies. Um, so I was like, I'm going to bake my own cookies. And I started to mix up the ingredients. I found the recipe. And in the recipe is salt. I'm like, like is this a trap? You know, is she trying to trick me? Like, so no, no one else can duplicate her cookies? Like, I've never had a cookie and thought, you know, this needs more salt right? Never put salt on a cookie. Never done it. So I was like, I'm not tricked. I'm not, I'm not falling for it. So I didn't put salt in the ingredients. Some of you have made cookies before, I see. So I continued to, to mix them up and I get the ingredients. I spoon them out on a greased up cookie sheet and I pop them in the oven and I'm waiting patiently. And when they come out, they're still warm and gooey and that's when the best time to eat them. And I start popping them and they didn't taste awful, right? I mean, I ate them. All of them, right? <laughs> They're still, but but let's just put it: they didn't taste like they do when she makes them. I mean, they they were they weren't quite right. They were kind of bland, kind of dull, um, kind of dry. It just it, it, something wasn't right. I mean, it was still a cookie, but it wasn't like a cookie should be. You know what I'm saying? 
And then when we look at our, I'll, I'll actually bridge this to a Christianity, but when we examine our, our Christianity, maybe for you, you've thought, you know, even though I am a Christian, I don't think it's like it should be or could be. And, and maybe you're not growing like you'd hoped. Maybe you're not seeing victory over sin. Maybe you don't feel a closeness to God. And maybe you've even used words like bland to describe it. It feels dull or dry when you talk about your Christianity. And could it be that there's a really important ingredient to our Christianity that we might have overlooked its value, like salt and cookies? Like we try to do it without this thing, and because we do so, it just doesn't taste like it should or it could? Um, Maybe you have a lot of the ingredients in there. I mean, you're at church, right? Give yourself a sticker for that. I mean, you come to church, you sing songs, you give some money, you serve, but this ingredient is missing, so it doesn't taste like it should. Or maybe you've applied it, but just kind of a dash here and a dash there, but you see in the New Testament, they just kind of covered their lives in it, and we haven't, so it just doesn't taste like it should. We're going to talk about the importance of community this morning. And when we say community, this isn't about just everybody needs friends. We're looking at this relationship the Bible calls us to that we're supposed to have with other believers and how important it is. I mean, it's in the recipe. There's all these one another passages throughout the New Testament, right? Like love one another, encourage one another, pray with one another. Serve one another, bear with one another, spur one another on to love and good deeds, confess your sins to one another, teach and admonish one another. I mean, some of them get pretty personal, right? And the fear is that too many of us are going about Christianity without this, right? You don't have anybody you ever confess your sins to. You don't have anybody that specifically encourages you, and you're really not doing that to anyone else. There's no one in your life that that spurs you on to love and good deeds. There's no one that that gets in your face when you get deceived by sin. That we're missing that, and as a result, we're not really tasting Christianity. Now, if you're new here or if you've been coming for a long time, it's good to hear again, but community is a big value for us because it's a big deal in the Bible. We have small groups that meet throughout the week. We call them redemption communities. And throughout the week, people gather in in their homes, and they not only open up the Bible, they open up their lives to each other, right? And this is where the one and others are lived out, that that they do encourage each other, that they support each other, that they love each other, that they spur each other on. They confess their sins to one another. It's where the one and others happen. And if you're not a part of a community like that, I want to push you to get involved in that. I mean, it's it's a big deal, Get signed up. Or, or maybe for you, um, sometimes we hear, I, I, I did that, right? I tried that. I did that once. It was, a, it was the wrong night. I didn't like the leader. I didn't like the people. You know, you had a bad experience. Annie up again, right? Try it again. If you have a bad haircut, you don't stop getting haircuts. You need, you need haircuts, right? Some of you do. Right? <laughs> but it, it, it needs to be done. The same thing. We need community. Right? So, so stay at it. Get plugged in. Get back involved. Um, in the back, in the lobby, there's a Next Steps brochure, and it will tell you how to get connected in this church or sign up for the Connect class. Get involved. Take a step. Annie up. Um, but more importantly, and, and I want you to hear this, more importantly than me making a plug for communities, I, I want this time this morning 
for us to just understand the importance and value of community. So it's not just something that we push at you, but it's something you want and desire and pursue in your own life, right? Sound good? Okay, for the four of us, we'll keep trucking. Um, so we're going to look at the early church, this first batch of cookies um, in, in Acts chapter 2. And we see for them that community or fellowship was a main ingredient. Like they were devoted to it. And the question we want to ask is why? Why were they devoted to it? Why was it such a big deal? And how does it become a big deal in our lives? How does it become a main ingredient for us? So Acts chapter 2, we're going to start in verse 37. But let me back up and give you some context. Um, Luke picks up here with... Jesus' last kind of conversation he has with his disciples um, before he goes away. And in this conversation, they're on the the Mount of Olives, and he he tells them the great commission, right? He says, I'm going to go. I'll be back, but I'm going to go. And while I'm gone, I want you to make disciples. I want you to do to other people what I have done to you. And I want you to do it throughout the entire earth. Ready? Break, you know? And then then he goes away. He floats away in a cloud. And they're just standing up there staring in, into the sky. So long that, that angels come down and they, they say, what are you looking at? Right? He'll be back. Get to work. Right? And they go out and they do what we do when we take the Great Commission seriously. They start to pray. Right? Like, God, help. This is a big task. And, and they begin to pray. And at one, one of these prayer times, the Holy Spirit comes down upon them. And they, this is during Pentecost. And they go out. And start preaching the gospel to all these people that are in Jerusalem. And, and they, they're doing it in, in all these different languages. In fact, some people are looking and saying, you guys are drunk? <laughs> Peter's got to say, no, it's too early. We're not drunk. Um, and, and they explain the gospel. And Peter kind of takes center stage in this message. And he, and he lays it on him, too. He's like, um, do you remember Jesus? You know, the guy that you killed? Yeah, bad idea. He was God. And we're going to pick up where, where, where Peter ends his talk and, and they kind of react to it. So Acts chapter 2, let's start in verse 37. It says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter said to them, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Now make note of verse 38 because we're going to come back there. Verse 39, for the promise is for you and for your children and for all who are far off, everyone whom the Lord our God calls to himself. And with many other words he bore witness and continued to exhort them, saying, save yourself from this crooked generation. So those who received his word were baptized, and they were added that day about 3,000 souls. You can see why my professor is all excited. It says, and they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and the prayers. Um, now, they see some, some crazy growth here, right? I mean, you go from 120 people and then in one day add 3,000. I'm guessing there might be some assimilation problems, right? You know, I mean, how do you get everybody's contact information? I mean, they don't have Next Steps brochures like we do. And they don't have a Connect class. I mean, you don't have programs set up. I mean, how, how do you bring people along? But what, what it says is they were all devoted. They were devoted to the apostles' teaching. They were devoted to fellowship. And they were devoted to breaking of bread or communion or celebrating the Lord's Supper. And they were devoted to prayer. And what stands out to me in this list is fellowship. Because if we were cooking this up, I mean, we could look at some of those ingredients and think they're pretty important. I mean, the apostles' teaching and prayer and communion. I mean, I, 
I get it. I, I would need that. But to me in this list, it looks like fellowship might be like salt and cookies. Like we might overlook its value and, and even try to do this Christianity thing without it. But to them, it was a main ingredient. And we got to see how, how essential it is for us. And, and, and a question that Brian and I always are trying to answer is, how do you get 3,000 adults devoted to fellowship? Right? How, how do you do that? I mean, they didn't have programs. They didn't have systems. They just... It was a part of their Christianity from the beginning. How, how, do, we, how do we here at this church get 3,000 adults devoted to fellowship in their lives? Now, fellowship is, uh, is one of those Bible words you don't hear every day. It's kind of it's even lost its punch in church world as well. Um, sometimes our, or some churches would build rooms for fellowship. Like they would call it a fellowship hall. Anybody remember those growing up? Okay, not, not too many of you. But it was just a, basically a room, one in the back. Thanks for the support. Right. Uh, it was like a big room where, where you were supposed to mingle. I, I grew up Baptist, so fellowship for us was potlucks. Any other Baptists in here testify about potlucks? Yeah. God used potlucks to, to, to save me. I mean, I was in church, and it's like, we're going to... They announced the potlucks. Like, we're going to do what? People are going to bring food, and we're going to create our own buffet? It's like, baptize me. I mean, I mean I'm in. This is great. <laughs> And there was one, I mean, there, there's one lady, and I'll, I'll, I'll come back to it, but there's this one lady, she would bring bacon-wrapped sausages. Now, you've got to be a good Baptist to look at a piece of sausage and think, you know what this needs? Bacon, right? I, mean, just, <laughs> I, lo- I love that lady. But uh, anyways, fellowship is so much more than that, right? It, it's relationships we're called to have with each other. So hear this, you could have fellowship halls, without real fellowship, right? You can have potlucks that are absent of real fellowship. And and hear me, you can have small groups that are absent of real fellowship. You could be in a redemption community that's absent of real fellowship. You could be in a Bible study that's absent of real fellowship. And our heart's desire as a church is not just to get you in a small group just so you're in someone else's living room eating snacks. That's that's not our goal. Our heart's desire, what's behind that, is we desire so much for there to be real fellowship in your life, that the one and others are being lived out in your life, that you are being encouraged, that you are being spurred on to love and good deeds, that that there's people who care enough to confront you, there's people to support you, there's people to pray for you specifically, that those things are in your life. It's a main ingredient. And we just feel that that small groups or redemption community is the best context for that to happen. So we will push that. But but what we want to do is better understand fellowship so we can really pursue it in our lives. Um, The word fellow, like, you know, he's a jolly good fellow, originally carried this idea of a partner, like a fellow uh, were people that pooled their resources together. So if you think of like a business partner. Uh, so fellowship is an open-handed, committed partnership with others. There's an idea of intimacy. There's an idea of sharing. There's an idea of partnership. And we get a look at it in the New Testament in Galatians 2, where Paul explains how Peter, James, and John gave him and Barnabas the right hand of fellowship. You guys remember that? We were in Galatians not too long ago. Um, they kind of extend to him the right hand of fellowship. And what they're saying to Paul and Barnabas is, you're one of us now, right? You're a part of our team. We're in this together. We're responsible for each other. We're, we're trying to do the th- same things. We're, we're a team. We're, we're partnering up. We're going to look after you, and you're going to look after us, right? Our relationship changes because of our shared faith in Jesus Christ, 
You want your life to honor God, and I want my life to honor God. You want to spread the gospel, and I want to spread the gospel. We're going to help each other. We're going to team up, and and that's fellowship. Think of it this way. Um, Fellowship is relationships you have with other believers where the one another's are practiced. I'll say it again so you can write it down, right? Fellowship is relationships with other believers where the one another's are practiced. It's where you're encouraging one another, and you're spurring one another on. You're confessing your sins to one another. You're praying for one another. Showing hospitality to one another. You're serving one another. You're rebuking one another because you care. Right? You're on the same team. Those one another's are practicing. When that's happening in your relationships, when that's really there at that level, folks, that's fellowship. And if we're absent of that in our life, then trust me, that changes the flavor or that changes the experience of Christianity. How many of you have ever had Chicago-style pizza? Show of hands. How many of you ever had Chicago-style pizza in Chicago? There's a few of you. We just had a moment there, didn't we? Okay, we, <laughs> we connected that these other people don't understand. Okay, so if all you've ever had is Chicago-style pizza outside of Chicago, you, you're, you're kind of missing out. Is that a fair statement, people? Okay, some people are really passionate about that, right? You're, I mean, it, it, was, it was deep dish, it was thick, the sauce was on top, but, but it's not quite the same as when you have Chicago-style pizza in Chicago. I mean, it just, it just tastes different. And the same thing is true when people try to do Christianity without real fellowship in their life, without the one another's. I mean, you could come to church, you can give money, you can serve, you can do these things, but if it's absent of biblical fellowship, if it's absent of the one another's in your life, it just doesn't taste the same. I mean, you are missing out. It's a main ingredient. Or or, or think of it this way. I'm from Iowa, and believe it or not, you can ski in Iowa. Usually a rule of thumb is if you think you can run up the hill faster than the chairlift gets you there, you're probably skiing in Iowa. But you can ski in Iowa, right? And, And if all you ever ski is Iowa, I mean, you could ski every day all season long, but if that's all you ever ski, and then you try to tell somebody from Colorado, I'm a skier, right? Right, they're going to do what you just did, right? They're going to laugh. And it's kind of like, well, sort of. I mean, technically you were on skis. There was some snow, ice mixture involved, and you went down a hill. But I, I, I don't know if I would really say you've experienced skiing the way it's meant to be experienced. Are you tracking with me? The, the same thing is true with Christianity outside of fellowship. If we have it, but we're, we're absent of, of the one another's in our lives, I'm not saying you're not saved, but you're skiing in Iowa. I mean, you, you are missing out. I know it's funny. Stop laughing. We got we to gotta go here. It, it's, you're, you're missing out, right? You're missing out. So, so think about it. Let's be honest with ourselves. As you look at your Christianity, is real fellowship there? Who in your life asks you really detailed questions? Like, what have you been reading lately in your Bible? What have you been praying about lately? Who in your life knows how to specifically pray for you, knows your struggles? Who in your life encourages you, like, frequently? Who in your life do you confess your sins to that holds you accountable? Who in your life spurs you on to love and good deeds? Who in your life will chase after you when you chase after sin? I mean, a, a real kind of fellowship like the one another's. And I, I get it. 
that doesn't come easy. I mean, when you have relationships like that, that's special. But folks, hear me. It's biblical. It's a big deal. And it's hard. It's challenging. It doesn't come easy. But we got to see something in verse 2 that we can't miss. Or verse 42, excuse me. It says, and they were what? You say the word. They were what? They were devoted to these things. It's not going to come naturally if you're not intentional about it. Fellowship is something we need to be devoted to. It, 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 it takes our devotion, and we're called to be devoted to it. And that word devoted can kind of be scary, right? Because it's demanding of us. Am I right? It's demanding of us. I mean, nobody's devoted to easy things. I mean, you're devoted to challenging things. Nobody's like, I just need to be more devoted to naps. Try to get more of those in, right? I mean, you turn on golf and a nap is close by. It, it comes naturally. But, but exercise, right? I mean, put it on the calendar, uh, set my alarm, give me an accountability partner, get me out of bed. I mean, I need to be devoted to that. They're good things that take effort, that take work. Well, fellowship is something that, that uh, Luke's saying, look, you need to be devoted to it. These people, they were devoted to this. It didn't come any easier for them than it does for us. It's just something that was a priority to them. They were devoted to it. I mean, we're going to have to work to get it on our calendar. We've got to fight to keep it there. Um, it doesn't come easy. And, and here's something to, to, to us as believers in this room. For the relationships that you already have with other believers, if you want to have real fellowship, you need to be intentional about taking it there. As you're going to have to bring up Jesus in your conversations. I mean, you're going to have to say things like, how can I pray for you? What's going on in your life? Right? You've got to be intentional about taking it there. How can I encourage you? What's going on? And, and it's challenging. I mean, it, it is challenging. I mean, even the writer of Hebrews, when, when, he's, when he's writing to, to this church and these group of people, he gives them some of the one another's we, we have in the New Testament in Hebrews, like encourage one another daily, as long as it's called what? You may remember that. Today, you know, keep, keep encouraging each other. This is an ongoing thing. And then later on he says, spur one another on. Like, like consider how to spur one another on to love and good deeds. I mean, these are one another things. And then he goes on to say, and don't stop. Right? Don't stop. Don't stop meeting together as some are in the habit of doing. Like people are, people are giving up on it. Right? And we see it all the time. Uh, you know, I, I used to be in a group. I used to get together with those guys. I, I used to get together with those ladies. I mean, it used to be a part of my life. And even, even for the, the Hebrews, they, they were tapping out. I mean, the fellowship thing is it's too hard. Things come up. Life is busy. Right? You ever, you ever notice, no matter how important we say fellowship is, it never seems to be Trump in our lives? You guys know what I mean by Trump? You got any card players in here that want to admit it in church? Okay. Some hands were like this. I mean, you know. But, but in, in certain card games, there's a suit that's Trump. So it doesn't matter if you have the ace of clubs, right? If, if diamonds is Trump, the three of diamonds will beat the ace of clubs all the time. And we could say fellowship is extremely important. It's our ace of clubs, right? But it just never seems to be Trump. Something, something else is always trumping it in our lives. So we can pursue it, just things trump it. It's like, I know I need to get involved in a community. I know I need to be a part of that, but I mean, the only night they meet is Tuesday, and that's the night our show's on, right? It gets trumped. And nobody in here would say the bachelorette's more important than, than fellowship, but it trumps it, right? 
I know we need to get involved and I need to have the one another's in my life, but we just don't have space. We don't have time for that. I mean, Sally's got ballet on Tuesdays and hip-hop on Wednesdays and, and tap on Thursdays and underwater basket weaving on Fridays. I mean, it's, the calendar's packed, right? I mean, we fill it up and it's like, I, I, we would never say that stuff's more important than fellowship. It's just, it's trumped. Or maybe you're that guy who's been invited to that Saturday breakfast. And they want you to come, and you know you should do it. It's valuable. I mean, they're pouring into each other and sharpening each other, but, I mean, that's your only day to sleep in, right? It's trumped. And what would happen? What would happen if fellowship was something we were all devoted to, right? What, what, if, it, what if it was Trump for us? I mean, what if we saw the one another's as some, some main ingredient to Christianity that we can't skimp on if we're really going to taste what true Christianity is all about? I mean, I mean, think about it. If the one another's were something we were devoted to, what would that do to you? I mean, over the course of time. I mean, think about in the next two years. If somebody was encouraging you frequently, someone was praying for you specifically, if somebody cared enough to rebuke you when you drifted, if somebody was like intentionally spurring you on to love and good deeds, if you had the type of relationship with somebody that you could confess your sins to and they, they cared to push you forward, what would that do to you? How would that shape you? How would that change the flavor of your life in Christianity in the next two years? And think about this. What if you were doing that to other people, right? What, what if that was just like a culture in our church that, that you're encouraging people, that you're praying for someone specifically, that, you, that you're spurring them on to love and good deeds, that, you, that you're chasing after them when they chase after sin? And that's just, that was just a culture of our church. How would that change the flavor for, our, for us in this church and for the people that come in to get a taste? You think about that. I mean, let's see what happened to this first batch of cookies. I mean, how did they taste? Verse 43 says, An awe came upon every soul. Awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles. And all who believed were together and had all things in common. And they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as any had need. And day by day, attending in the temple together and breaking bread in their homes, they received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all the people. And the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. Can you, can you taste that? I mean, let me read it again. I just want you to think about this experience they were having. This is how it tasted for them when they were devoted to these things. And awe came upon every soul, and many wonders and signs were being done through the apostles, and all who believed were together and had all things in common, and they were selling their possessions and belongings and distributing the proceeds to all as they had need, and day by day attending the temple together and breaking bread in their homes. They received their food with glad and generous hearts, praising God and having favor with all people, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved." Now, I, I get it. There's some cultural differences there, and we don't live in the first century. But something that's timeless in that is that when you're connected to God, 
and you're caring for other believers and you're involved in his work, there's a sense of awe in that. I mean, when you, when you are radically in love with Jesus and you are deeply caring for other believers and, and you are involved in the work of God and you're seeing people get saved day by day and, and you're seeing what God is doing in you and through you, there's a sense of awe and that, that tastes good and that tastes just as good today as it does back then. But here's, here's the question though. How does that priority of fellowship and devotion get into us? I know it's important, but what's it going to take for us to want it? What's it going to take for that to turn into Trump in our lives? I mean, why were 3,000 adults devoted to fellowship, right, without any kind of assimilation program, without any kind of next steps, without any kind of guidance there? Why were 3,000 adults that are new to Christianity had a priority for devotion, and how does it become a priority for us? Right? Whether we as a church pushed it at you or not, how is you as a Christian just wants it and craves it? I mean, where did that come from? Let's, let's look back at verse 38. I'll go to verse 37 to set it up. So Peter's done with his talk. Um, he's, he's laying into these people, and, and he says, Now when they heard this, they were cut to the heart. Right? They, they were convicted. And they said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And that's kind of the... The reaction every preacher wants at the end of his sermon is like, all right, you got me. What do you want me to do? And this is where they're at. And this is what Peter says. And Peter said to them, repent, circle that, and be baptized, circle that. Every one of you, underline that, that includes you, in the name of Jesus Christ. Circle that. For the forgiveness of sins, that's good news. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. Circle that. So here's what he's saying. Repent. Be baptized in the name of Jesus, and you'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. So, so here's what we got going on. There's the work of the Holy Spirit in their hearts, and with that comes new life, right? With the Holy Spirit comes new life and new passions and new priorities and new perspectives. I mean, mental note here, we need the Holy Spirit in our lives. Otherwise, we're going to continue to think soccer practice is way more important than it is, right? The Holy Spirit changes what's Trump in our hearts. If we want to be the people we should be, and if we want to be the church we should be, we need the Holy Spirit. Am I right? Thanks for that enthusiastic response, right? I'm sure the conference center's all over that. But we need the Holy Spirit in our life, and this is what's driving these people, because what's Trump in their hearts has been changed. And they have a new outlook on life. Here's what else is going on, and we can't miss this. He's telling them to repent to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, don't, don't just read over that. I mean, let, let's put ourselves there. Think about this. He's telling them, in the name of Jesus Christ, the man the Roman government just killed, right? The man that the Jews have deemed a heretic, the man that has caused so much controversy, the man that's, that you don't want to be associated with, in his name, I want you to do a 180 in your life and now be devoted to him and be loyal to him and be committed to him and be all about him. I want you to repent and turn to him, right, as your Lord and Savior, as the Son of God. And I want you to be baptized in his name. So this, this repentance, this turning, this conversion to Jesus, who's a controversial character, I want there to be some formality about it, and I want you to go public with it. Who's in, right? 3,000 people were. 
Don't miss this. Here's what A.W. Tozer said about these people. Those first believers turned to Christ with the full understanding that they were espousing an unpopular cause that could cost them everything. They knew they would henceforth be members of a hated minority group with life and liberty always in jeopardy. Think about this. How important is fellowship with other believers when your new faith has just set you so far apart from everyone else? Do you get it? Do you feel the situation that they were in? Oh, yeah, I'm with Jesus now, but that just put me on a narrow road. And how important is fellowship with other believers when your new faith just sets you so far apart from everyone else in the world around you? And for them, community with other believers was such a priority to be devoted to because following Jesus made them so different than everybody else. And we saw it in the text. I mean, they're now handling material possessions different than everyone else. I mean, radical generosity. Their calendar now looks different than everyone else, right? They're in the temple daily. They're meeting in their homes. They're spending time together. Their calendar has changed. They have new priorities and new passions and new pursuits and new values that are being flushed out in their life. And could it be, and this may sting, but this is where we need to be honest with ourselves. Could it be that community is not the same priority for us because we're really not that different than the world around us? I mean, do you, do you really handle money that different than your unbelieving neighbor? Does your calendar look different than your unbelieving friends? Do you, you pretty much have the same goals in life as the rest of the world? Do you entertain yourself the same way as the rest of the world? I mean, maybe you want to keep up with the Kardashians just as much as your neighbor. Has your faith set you apart from the world around you? Has your faith leaked into your life? Has your faith impacted how you spend money? Has it, has it impacted the way you arrange your calendar and how you spend your time? Has it impacted your values? Has it impacted your goals in life and your pursuits in life? I mean, has your faith, leaked, has your faith essentially set you apart from the way the rest of the world lives? Has your faith put you on a narrow road? following Jesus is a narrow road. It's not a popular road. It's not a cool road, no matter how hip we try and be. Following Jesus is a narrow road. And because it's a narrow road, folks, because it's a narrow road, we group up with the other people on it, right? If I'm on the narrow road, I I group up with the other people on it. I know that I need them. Think of it this way. If being serious about Jesus is like jogging, then fellowship is like water, right? If I'm doing this, I'm going to feel like I need that, right? If I'm running, I'm going to want water, right? Especially in the desert, 2 o'clock in the afternoon. That was a bad idea yesterday, okay? (laughs) But if I'm running, I'm going to want water. If I'm doing this, I'm going to want that, right? If I'm living for God in a world that's not, if I'm really committed and trying to spread the gospel to the people around me, I'm going to want fellowship. Like, I'm going to thirst for it. Like, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to need it. I need help. I need encouragement. I need support. It's a narrow road. I don't want to be here by myself. Right? 
are we, are we committed to that? Are we doing that? And if you're not, and, and, and be honest with yourself, if you're not wanting fellowship, if you're not craving it, if you're not seeing the value of it in your life, you have to ask yourself, am I seriously living for Jesus? Like, do I seriously want all of my life to honor God more than anything else? Am I seriously trying to spread the gospel to the people around me? Am I seriously living for Jesus? Or have I just kind of blended in with the world that I live in and it doesn't feel like a narrow road at all? And I don't feel a need for fellowship. I don't see a value and I don't hunger for it, right? I'm not running, therefore I'm not thirsty. Here's what we learn as we look at this group in Acts 2. When people by the power of the Holy Spirit, get serious about Jesus, fellowship is a part of their life. I mean, they want it. They're thirsty for it. They're devoted to it. They need it. Now, we're going to, just so we're clear, as a church, we're going to continue to push fellowship at you. Like, it's a big deal. We're going to continue to put it in front of you and challenge you to take those steps and challenge you to get into those relationships. But what if for us, and when I say us, like, the group of people here. What, what if for us it's just a group of people that follow Jesus? What if for us community wasn't an ought to thing? Right? It wasn't those things that's like, yeah, I really ought to do that. And they're asking people to sign up. I really should. You know, I really ought to do that. And soon we just kind of run out of motivation. It's just an ought to thing. What, what if the Holy Spirit changed what tr- was Trump in our hearts? What, what if the Holy Spirit woke up in us a love for Jesus and an involvement in ministry that drove us to each other, right? What, what if I'm like really serious about honoring God in my life and not just here at church, but at work and at home and when nobody's looking, right? I, I want that. What if I was so driven that I want that I just bumped into my need for help? Like if I'm gonna be that guy, if I'm gonna honor God with all of my life, man, I need teammates, I need help. I need accountability. I need people to confess my sins to. I need to be encouraged daily. I mean, what what if we were really committed to spreading the gospel to the people around us? That we just bumped in to a need for help and teammates. Like, I I, I don't want to be on this road by myself. I need help, right? What if we're supposed to really share the gospel with our neighbor and we took that serious? Like, you don't know my neighbor, right? I mean, I get HOA letters for having too many weeds. I'm supposed to be salt and light to him, right? I want to salt his front yard. It's like, but, I, but I'm supposed to share the gospel with this guy? I mean, I'm supposed to do those things? I'm supposed to be that? And you know what? I want him to know the love of Christ, right? I, I want that to ha- I want that to be I want him to see how glorious God is and, and that Jesus is better than the things he's chasing. I want him to get the reality of forgiveness. I want him to understand what Christ did on the cross, but man, if, I, if I'm going to do that, if I'm going to bring up Jesus in a conversation, if I'm going to pursue him, if I'm going to do that, I need help. I need teammates. I need people spurring me on to do that. I need people holding me accountable that I am that guy in my neighborhood. Folks, listen to this, okay? Listen, if you're on the sidelines, you can do that by yourself. But if you're in the game, you know you need teammates. We need, we, we need fellowship. And each one of us, we need to be responsible, take responsibility to be devoted, that make sure we have the one another's in our own life. Right? That you're encouraging one another. 
that you're in relationships where people will, will be honest with you and ask you questions like, what are you reading lately in the Bible? How is prayer going? What are you praying about? What are you struggling in? How can I encourage you? And they're spurring us on to love and good deeds. And they're challenging us. And when we chase sin, they chase us, right? We need those people. It's a main ingredient in Christianity. And folks, if we don't have that, our Christianity is not going to taste like it should to us or the people around us. So as we kind of bring this to a close, I hope, I hope you see the importance and value of community. So it's something you want to be devoted to. And you don't leave here thinking, yeah, I really ought to do that. But you leave here with a hunger for real fellowship in your life. And whether you get into a community or you just pursue it yourself, because of your ministry, because of your passion for Jesus, you hunger and thirst for the one another's in your life. And folks, when we do that, and when that becomes a culture of our church, we'll be able to taste it. And so will our community. Neil's going to come and lead us in a time of communion. And if you're in the conference center, Brian's going to close up your service. Um, but let's pray. Father, you are good, and we confess it, we know it, and we need you. I pray that you would guide us in this time uh, to reflect on our life and our commitment to one another, that you would um, help us hunger and thirst for fellowship as we want to have lives that please you and spread the gospel in our world, that we would be people that encourage one another, pray for one another, spur one another on, confess our sins to one another, love one another rebuke one another when necessary. Father, that we are a family, that we are a body, and we see the value of true biblical fellowship.